This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA, and it is great to be back on the pod after our winter hiatus. In this episode, I talk with Darrell Key of Pittsburgh. Darrell is a business owner and a father and a man of faith. He's also on probation and will be on probation until 2027 for crimes that occurred more than a decade ago. In our conversation, Darrell talks about what that means for his daily life, for his work, and for his family. And he explains how he thinks the probation system has to change. ACLU PA and a bunch of our allies are in the midst of a fierce debate at the state legislature on reforming probation. There are two bills in play, Senate Bill 14, which we support and which is in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and House Bill 1555, which started as a great bill but was gutted in committee to both remove the reforms and to add new provisions that would actually make probation worse. In fact, ACLUPA took the unusual step of switching our position from supportive to opposed after HB 1555 was amended. You can send emails to your state legislators on both of these bills by going to our website, aclupa.org, and going to the ACT page. Let's hear from Darrell. This conversation was recorded on February 12th. Well, Darrell, thanks for taking the time to talk. And I wanted to start by setting some context for folks that are listening to this. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in Pittsburgh. What is life like here for you? Uh, life's been an up and down, like a roller coaster. Um, I had good times and I had bad times. Yeah. Um, I'm from the south side of the town, uh, Arlington Heights to be specific. Yeah. Um, and the life now for me um, is pretty good. It's pretty fair. Um, like, I, like I said, I went through a lot in my early stages in life. But now it's like starting to look up. I can see the sunshine. That's great. And you've talked publicly already about your experience of being on probation. Let's right. just kind of set the background um, of how that came to be. Um, give us a little bit there about you know what, what were the uh, offenses and what was the sentence? Well, it started back in my early teenage years. Okay. Um, I think on my first case, I was about 14 or 15. Okay. Um, and the offense, basically, all my offenses were like drug-related. Okay. Um, a lot of drug possessions, possessions with intents. Um, the last case that I actually caught was the heaviest case that I ever had, which was the distribution case. Okay. Um, so it, I've been in and out of prison um, about 14 years of my life. Okay. Um, so I, I gave a lot of time to the penal system. And how long have you been out now? Uh, seven years on the 23rd. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So you're in a place now where you're working, you're running a business, you're raising a family. In what ways does the probation system compromise your work and your family life? Well, it can be a hindrance. Yeah. Um, it definitely is a hindrance. Um, as I was telling uh, Ian before, it it it, it has its, its uh, holds on you to where if I had a business opportunity in Westmoreland County, I would have to call and say, hey, I, I want to go and install a furnace in Westmoreland County, they can either deny it or accept it. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the probation system um, in Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania in itself, I feel as though is like very harsh, um, especially when you're like on the right track and you're doing the right thing. Um, I feel like the, the, the system itself is like more of a noose or a trap than it is anything else. And you've been home for seven years. Right. 
And how long does that probation sentence last? Um, I have seven more years left. Wow. That is stunning. And I, I, I make note of that because when you look at statistics um, on w- the likelihood of someone reoffending, it's always within those first few years. You know, it's the, the first, first one to three years. I think. Yeah, it's the, it's the first uh, 24 months. So you've, you've cleared that, that time frame. And at this point, you're trying to go on with your life. Right. Um, you've, you've been home for seven years and you have seven more to go before you're out from under this. Right. Um, I know you've talked publicly about an experience where a probation officer showed up at the school where you were studying. What right, happened right. there? Well, I was actually in class um, doing my HVAC. I was going to school for HVAC, um, and this was 2013 or 14. Um, when I came home, my probation officer at the time looked me dead in my eyes, didn't know me, didn't have a conversation with me ever, and was like, yeah, you'll be back in six months. Mm-hmm. And he said that based on paperwork on my rap sheet. And um, when he when he said that, I was like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, because he didn't know my plan. He didn't know my intentions. He didn't know my visions or my goals. So he uh, thought that I was lying to him, like I wasn't in school. And uh, so he decided, him and a few other parole officers decided to come up to the school just to see if I was really in school. So um, if you are familiar with any type of government place, they're not allowed to say, yes, he's here, mm-hmm. regardless of who you are. Um, so he texts me like, hey, I'm in front at the office. I just want to see if you're in class. So I walked to the front uh, where the administration was and um, was like, hey, what's up? And he was like, oh, I just wanted to make sure you were here. So now the administration didn't have no idea that I was on parole. Only one or two people knew that I just came home from prison. That was the lady who did my financial aid Mm -hmm. and the dean of the school. They had to know that. Um, But everybody else didn't know. Everyone was under wraps because it's it's like the HIPAA law or something like that. You're not allowed to disclose information. So now everybody's looking at me weird. Like, you got police. They're in there with bulletproof vests that says state parole and guns and badges. And they're looking at me like, this guy's like a really troublemaker. Like, but... um, yeah, that's what happened. So it must have been uh, at least uncomfortable, maybe a bit embarrassing as well. It was very embarrassing. Yeah. But um, like I tell everybody, I use that as testimony. That's my testimony. Uh, I don't shy away from it. I don't run away from it. Um, I wear it as a badge of honor. So, you know, if anyone has any questions, I'll tell them, like, yeah, this is this is what I was into. This is what I did before, but I'm no longer him. Do you think he was trying to put a pinch on you, or is it just that it, for, for them it's routine, this is what we do? It's sort of like chess. Yeah. Um, you know, you, 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 you try to see how the opponent is moving and uh, what they're going to do with their next move. So I feel like he was trying to put me in a checkmate position sure. um, just to see how I was going to react uh, to that uh, specific incident. And um, now he's my biggest fan. Yeah, He's the liaison for state parole in the county courthouse. And um, I, really, I really appreciate him now because – he sits and he talks to me and he's like, you're the perfect parolee. Like hmm. you, you didn't have, you didn't give me no issues. You know what I mean? Um, so it was, it was more or less like, I see what you're doing now. I can actually visualize it. And I appreciate you for doing this and sticking with it. I do want to clarify something. You've made references to parole. So when you were released, I take it you were you were released before your max, which meant Correct. you were on parole at that point. Correct. And then do you have a probation sentence on top of that? Correct. 
Okay. So my probation is running concurrent with my state sentence. Okay. So uh, I was released on parole. I had a year and a half of parole, which is the state number. Once your state number, once you max out your state number, they give they ran my probation concurrent with my parole. Mm-hmm. So as soon as parole stopped, probation started. So now I'm on probation. Now, actually, I just had a conversation with the young lady, which is my parole agent, and uh, I told her I was tired of this. I'm tired of living like this. Um, what can I do to get off of this? And she told me, pay the money. Pay the money. We'll write a, write a, write a letter of recommendation. So you've also talked about the experience of taking your family on a trip to an amusement park in yeah. Virginia. Walk yeah. us through the steps you had to take to make that trip happen. Man, it was horrifying. So um, I was telling my kids, hey, we're going to go on a vacation. We're going to go to Kings Dominion, which is in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was telling my kids that, you know, we're going to just – Go down there, have a family fun day, which was just me and my kids, and they were really expecting that. So when I went to tell my parole officer at that time, I'm like, hey, um, I want to take my kids. And this day this summer. I'm like, hey, I want to take my kids uh, to King's Dominion. And he was like, when? And I'm like, this weekend. And he's like, yeah, so where you going? Who, what hotel? Who are you going with? How long are you going to be down there? He started asking me all of these random questions and weird questions. And I'm like, I work. I pay my taxes just like you. So I shouldn't – I'm not in no trouble. So if if I was in trouble, then I, I feel like you can ask those questions. But, once again, that's his job. So he started asking those questions and, like, was asking me, well, um, how many rooms are you going to get? Uh, whose car are you going to drive? All these questions. And I was just like, you know what? Yeah, we're not even going to do it. So I, my daughter kept asking me, Dad, I really want to go. I really want to go. You were ready to give up on the trip. Right. Wow. She's like, Dad, I really want to go. I really want to go. So I'm like, all right, cool. We'll go. And uh, I went back to him, and I'm like, here's all the information you need. Everything you need, um, this is it. And he was like, yeah, denied. So it was it was denied because I didn't give enough time. Yeah. Um, and – I, I, you're supposed to pay like some sort of fee uh, when you leave the state or when you leave the county. So that fee was supposed to go to Harrisburg. Harrisburg has to look at all of the ins and outs of the trip, and then Harrisburg has to uh, approve it. It goes over to Superior, which is the supervisor in that office. He sends it off. He approves it, and then he sends it off. Or he denies it and doesn't send it off. So I don't even know at what point in the process I got denied. Did you end up going eventually? No. Ah. You know. Well, that's that. Boy, that's tough. And 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 the fee issue is just a, that's a whole other thread to pull on because it's just another way in which the criminal legal system squeezes money out of people. Um, you know, they want to enforce these laws and then they want you to pay for it. Right. Um. It's like double jeopardy almost. Right. It's like you already paid with your time. You gave them your time. And, like, I just was talking to the young lady, which is the parole agent, and I'm like, you know, I work. I have my own business. I pay insurance. I pay life insurance. I pay for my kids. I'm doing everything. Paying my bills by myself, doing everything by myself. I don't see the need that I have to pay you. Right. Because you're basically like a babysitter. It's not that I need you. It's that you want me to need you and I don't um and I went down and I gave her all my accolades since I've been home and I, and I ended it with you guys didn't help me with anything mm-hmm. so why would I pay you 
you guys didn't help me start this. You guys didn't help me start from the bottom. So why would I pay you? You're basically like a, a glorified babysitter with a gun. Mm-hmm. How old's your daughter? Uh, my daughter right now is 11. Did you explain to her what happened? No. Just mm. said we can't go. That's tough. Um, so what you just said a moment ago is actually segues nicely into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. So you're one of thousands of people on probation in Pennsylvania. And at the ACLU, we talk a lot about how this system is, it's a system of invisible tripwires. It's a, yes. gotcha, it's a gotcha yes. system. Yes. Uh, you know, law enforcement is just waiting and expecting people to trip up. So as someone who's experienced it, how do you think the system could be changed for the better? What changes are needed so that it is a support system instead of a gotcha system? Well, first you need to start asking questions instead of looking at everybody like criminals. Mm. Um, yeah, we committed criminal acts and we did, we did, and we spent time in prison. Um, but I feel like they don't ask enough questions. It's more or less do what I say and not as I do. And that's the mentality, like I'm better than you basically. Like I'm the parole agent, you're the parolee. You do what I say. And I don't feel like that's right. And that mindset that the parole as a whole has is more or less like I'm over you, I'm your Lord and Savior, you have to run everything through me or it's no. So I feel like a change needs to come when, you know, one comes home. Like you need that they need to start asking questions, go in depth of, you know, what do you want to do? How are you going to do it? Do you need any help? Um, do you need any assistance? Um, here's here's references to use to get you where you need to go. Like they don't give you nothing. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have a job when you come home, it's like hurry up and get a job or we gotta send you back. Mm-hmm. And we got criminal histories. So you can't just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go work at Best Buy. No, right. it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Best Buy has to run their background checks and do everything they do, and they can say no. So you're going to send me back and punish me because I'm, I have a criminal record? Right. Or you'll put me in these classes that's taking me away from the time to where I'm looking for a job. You've mentioned uh, the restrictions on going out of the county or going a certain uh, distance, going out of state. Um, you've mentioned the contact you've had with – uh, your probation officer, what are some of the conditions you have to follow? Um, before it was, I had to be in, in the house at a specific time mm-hmm. and I couldn't leave my house before a specific time. So it was eight o'clock PM that I was, had to be in the house and it was, excuse me, 5 AM mm-hmm. that I wasn't allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. So those stipulations, once again, puts a hindrance on what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, I'm a business owner. So if, I got a job that's set for seven o'clock. I got to round up the boys, get everything where it needs to go. So I have to be at that job site at seven. That means I might have to leave at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to call someone that's not going to answer the phone because they're not even awake yet? Right. And I just got to sit around and wait for you. So that's hindering me. Like I just had a situation um, Monday. Um, I asked my pro officer, hey, you know my brother, lives out of state, um, there's a big fight coming on, I wanna go down and watch it with him. And she was like, yeah, no. Hmm. And I'm like, why? She's like, you didn't give me enough time. I'm like, so those are the things right there that I feel like I pay my taxes like you pay your taxes. I'm doing a job just like you doing your job. Yeah. I'm not out here crim- committing criminal acts. So not saying that I'm better than anybody, let's get that understood I'm not better than anybody but I feel like I'm doing good enough to where I should have some leeway 
And that's why I talked to her about getting off this because it's a hindrance. I shouldn't have to ask you. I'm a grown man. Yeah. I shouldn't have to ask you for, for permission to leave. And I gave you, I gave you five years in prison and another seven on the streets. That's twelve years. Right. How much more time do you want from me? Like what else? You're like sucking me dry, and then you want me to pay you on top of that and do all of this other stuff. It's sucking me dry. I don't feel like it's yeah. necessary. So you asked the PO on Monday about visiting your brother, and the fight is the, the following weekend? Yes, it's the 22nd. So six days wasn't enough to— Yeah, it was, uh, it's the 22nd. Oh, the 22nd. Okay, so we're, we're talking on February 12th, so it's 10 days from now. Yeah. And that wasn't enough time. Not enough time. Wow. Like, how many more time do you need? Right. You need two months in advance? Right. Like, I didn't know that I was going to watch the fight until Sunday. Like My brother was like, hey, Joe, just drive down. I'm like, all right, cool. Right. So it wasn't planned like two, three months ahead. It was just like spontaneous. Just drive down. We can watch the fight together. Yeah. And is the 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. restriction, is that a parole condition or probation or both? Both. 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 I don't have that restriction anymore. Okay. Um, they don't. So they, could, they have the discretion to lift things if. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. But if you like, let's say if you don't make a payment, they can put you on an ankle monitor mm-hmm. and make sure that you're in the house at, a, at that specific time. Let's say that you said that you were working from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. and the parole officer comes to your job and you're not there. Technical violation. Mm-hmm. Puts you on an angle monitor. It's like you're, you're an animal in a jungle. Right. You know what I mean? And they, and they have all the power and will to apprehend you at any point. And you, as a business owner, you run a heating and cooling business. Correct. You know, you at least have... A little bit of control over your work, I'd imagine. I mean, you're, you're you're working for the client, so obviously you don't have total control. But I can imagine someone being in a situation where you mentioned earlier that they have a criminal history, so it's harder to get a job. Correct. Maybe they find somewhere that will hire them at second or third shift. So what happens then? Then you have to like switch your stipulations. Oh, so the stipulations get changed. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Um, so there are many people who haven't spoken publicly about this, who they're, they're on probation, but they don't speak publicly about their experience. Uh, meanwhile, you have said to us, tell me what I can do, right? Uh, wherever I can go to talk about this, I'll talk about it. Right. Um, why is that? Why are you so willing to speak up about the experience? Well, one, I don't feel like people really have the resources to know what else to do. Like mm-hmm. if you get a parole, a parolee, you know, he might come home and, he doesn't know what else to do. So you get this guy that may have been gone six, seven years, and he comes home and he's like, okay, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and then those plans don't follow through. He gets discouraged, and he goes back to what he knows. So it's more or less like we need to put things in positions. Like right now I'm working on something to put something in a position where I can help guys. Mm-hmm. Like coming home from prison, hey, this is what you can do. This is what, Like you can, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. I already, if I can plant the seed – you have to make sure it gets sun and, and get water. So I, it's more or less like I want to change. I want to change the mindset. I want to change the perception of criminals because not all of us are criminals. Yeah, we were criminals at one time, or we committed criminal acts. Some of us just did stuff out of survival. Period. You know, we do things to survive, not not to do it just for um, a name or. Uh, just because we want to do that, it's the the situations that we were raised in. You don't have a choice sometimes to, but to sell drugs because you go into these these places, and like myself, I had a criminal history since I was a teenager. They can pull all that up. 
-hmm. And a job can be like, yeah, no, we don't want you. So the guy who just coming home, he's not used to the real world. He doesn't. He doesn't really realize how fast it really goes out here. How much of a struggle it really is out here. So until he gets his feet grounded, he might get discouraged if he doesn't get results quick enough. So I want to be the guy who says, "Hey, look, listen. There's ways around this. You can do this. Um, I did it, and there, there's there wasn't no. I didn't use no excuse. I kind of used everybody else's doubt as as fire." I use it as gasoline, and I kept my fire burning, and that's what I do still to this day. So I want to change the narrative. I want to change the thought process behind the criminal or the parolee or the ex-con or the inmate, whatever whatever the name may be. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to change the narrative. So that's why I you know, take time out to talk. I take time out to do these things that I'm doing now, um, post my face everywhere because – we all need someone to look at and say, you know what, he did it. I can do that. Yeah. Because if, if I was just a, a regular Joe Schmo and I was talking about parole and probation and i never been through it, a person's going to be like, yeah, nobody trying to hear that. You know what I mean? But being as though that I've been through it and I still live it, you can relate. And people tend to merge to things that they can relate to because it's, okay, yeah, he did it. You know what? I can do this. Mm-hmm. I'm strong like him. Use me. Do you work with people that are coming out of prison? I do. Okay, and what's that work like? Um, I just basically talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I don't really have a platform to where it's, you know, I could round up a group of guys and, like, say, you know, 40 to 50 guys and say, hey, look, listen, this is what we got in place. This is the programs we got. This is the resources we got. Utilize them. Use them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just basically go on an individual basis and just talk to different people, like, that I know, like, you can do this. You're stronger than what you think. You're mentally strong. You've been through hell already. Prison's hell. Prison is hell. Mm-hmm. You know, they make it They make it seem like it's okay. It's not. It's not okay. You're missing your family. You're away for years and months and days on end, and you come home and you forget about the speed of life mm-hmm. because it goes super fast, and you don't get the resources. You can sit in prison all day and plan and plan and plan. Your plan, I might see it through. You might get discouraged. So right now, it's just more or less like an individual basis. I'm talking to people that I know personally, like, you got this. You can do this. I'm pushing a lot of the guys that that I grew up with that's coming home from prison now. Like, hey, go back to school. Get you a trade. Building trades are where it's at. You can make money, and you can live the lavish life that you want to live without, without ever having to compromise your freedom. Mm-hmm. So – and I, I'm talking to them and giving them motivation. Like, you know, it, it's not easy. Don't think that it's easy because I've been through some stuff since I've been in this industry, HVAC, you know. Um, but it's definitely doable if you want it. Well, it's definitely work that has to happen both at the at the back end as people are coming out of the system and also at the front end that the reform is absolutely necessary. And I know all of us here feel like your voice is one that can um, can move that narrative and hopefully change change some minds of, of, of decision makers and Thank lawmakers. You. you know, we we've got to change the way the laws are and the, and the policies that keep people trapped in the system. Right. And it's and it's it is so much that. It's so much that, you know, a person that's sitting in the legislator's seat really doesn't know, like, you know, on a day to day basis in prison, you know. You don't know. You don't know um, 
what it feels like to not be able to use the phone to call your son on his birthday because you're locked down because the senator said it was okay. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to be locked down because the Senate, you know, got a bug up his butt? Now I can't call my son and wish him happy birthday. Or you don't know what it feels like to have to be in a cell for maybe 72 to 96 hours just because. Yeah. You can't take a shower. You get your trays through the door. It's like feet, It's like an animal. Yeah. You don't know what that does to someone's mental. Or when you're stripped randomly and you got to get butt naked. As a man, that is... That's deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it hurts. It hurts to have to go through that, and I don't think that they truly know the mentality that people have in there and coming home. That's why a lot of people, in my eyes, come home with the fu attitude. Mm-hmm. Like, man, forget this. Yeah, I can't. I'm not gonna do that again. So you know, I, I hear a lot of guys like, "I'm never going back to jail. They're gonna have to kill me." Yeah, because it's so difficult out here. So when you get to talk to people like that, you can be sit back. I can uh, sit back and appreciate it. Like, wow, this is this is really real. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I um, talked to, and this is off the record. I talked to a, a a therapist for everything that I've been through, and she was like, "Yeah, you got PTSD." Mm. I've never been to war. Right. I've never seen a front line over there, but over here, yes, we've been to war. Mm-hmm. We seen front lines, so there's things that you know. I seen I seen one of my best friends die in front of me. So yeah, I, you you deal with a lot, and it's it's just not me. So that's why I said, in order to change the narrative, you got to start asking these guys questions. These women too, because mm-hmm. they've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. You don't know what she been through. You don't know what he been through, and they don't ask the questions. Just more or less, do as I say, not as I do mentality. Yeah. Well, Darrell, uh, like I said, your voice is really important. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Darrell Key for his time and his willingness to talk about his personal experiences with the criminal legal system. Just a reminder to take action on the probation reform bills before the Pennsylvania General Assembly. Go to aclupa.org and click Act. If you like the podcast, please be sure to rate us on your podcast app of choice. That's how people find the show. We are on all of the big apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and now on Spotify. That wraps up episode 37. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be free. Be free.